Welcome one and welcome all to the next episode of the Paddock Podcast covering the Logitech G Pro Invitational Series. I'm Reese Gardner, Stephen Sandman-Clark with me here, and uh, we definitely hope that uh, you enjoyed the last episode where we interviewed uh, Jake Burton, championship leader at the time. There's a new championship leader that we're going to be talking to later, Sandman, uh, but we we'll also have a recap of uh, the previous round of the Red Bull Ring and a preview of next round at Belle Isle. We are right in the thick of this season. Not wrong. Good evening, Reese, and everyone listening. Um, yeah, oh, I'll tell you what, if this is a bit of a trend that we've got with um, series leaders, I think we're going to have people knocking on our door to be the next person that we chat to because we've had it exactly like you touched on. Uh, Burton was the series leader and now there's been a series leader again with James. So, yeah, we might, might not be short of guests for quite some time if this keeps up. Yeah, certainly. My uh, my guest list is continually growing in the uh, Google Doc I have down by the side. Either way, we will be talking to James Scott later on, uh, finishing second at the Red Bull Ring to teammate Jared Philsell and uh, reclaiming the championship lead. But first, we are going to have to talk about what happened at that round. Round five of the championship run, the Red Bull Ring. Sandman, we uh, we previewed this last episode and I think a couple of our predictions around qualifying came true. <laughs> Traffic was a huge issue uh, in the qualifying session. Short track, but long straights. You had to be close behind someone to get the slipstream and it made a few people slip up. Yeah, it's a very Watkins Glen-esque, isn't it? You know, when we talk about that pit entry, and of course, it's always a danger that everyone is pushing and they're right on the edge, trying to make the most and capitalise out of every sort of corner they can. And of course, where you've got that pit entry, someone's going to make that move. And unfortunately, there's going to be some contact. And we saw it. We predicted it. And I think everyone was aware that that possibility can happen, as, as we do when we go to Watkins Glen. And, and, you know, the good thing about it is there's genuinely, there's Pretty much no hard feelings because everyone knows that there's nothing intentional. It's just the nature of the racetrack. Yeah, nature of the racetrack, nature of the format as well. But I can't help but think, would splitting qualifying into two groups and, and having those groups run uh, at separate times, sort of sub-sessions within the main qualifying session, solve that issue? Or would we just see the same behaviours pop up? It's interesting, isn't it? I guess sometimes it comes to track-specific as well. You know, obviously the shorter lap racetracks, we're going to see that congestion in qualifying. Um, I definitely think it's probably something that the, you know, organisers could probably look at just to try and thin that field out a little bit. And, of course, if it starts to happen when they thin out the field and split the, the sessions, you don't want to be starting to go into three sessions or four sessions and only having a few cars on track. So it mm. would be probably worth a test just to see – if everyone can behave. And look, there's no disrespect to any of the drivers. They're all having a red-hot go. It's just tricky that they really need to be mindful of looking in that rearview mirror. Yeah, particularly um, Sebastian Flock. I, I saw the incident in qualifying where Josh Anderson from Trans-Tasman Racing was on yeah. a hot lap with mere minutes to go in the session, but then he came up on a long line of traffic and coming through turn seven, there was a chain of cars. Seb Flock was the last of them and they ended up uh, staying on the racing line as Anderson was coming through and that resulted in a big whack to the rear for Flock, sending him off the circuit and Anderson's hot lap being ruined. Yeah, and, and Anderson needed those times too. So he was in a, a position where he, he desperately needed to put something down. And then I, I touched on this in the broadcast and maybe even mentioned it in, in the podcast last time, but even though drivers get out of your way, it's still a distraction. And I, mm, yeah. I still find it as a driver that even though I know that everyone's moving out of the way, I'm probably not given 100, 110% like I should be because you've always got that fear of, you know, what if they just don't see me? But then, of course, when you've got a car that's right on the racing line and you're at speed, then you know it's just an absolute disaster. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't a disaster for James Scott. He managed to take pole position, Madison down in second place on the grid, and uh, real star in the making and continuing on his rise, Dylan Rudd for 95 Sim Sports getting third place. He's continually building momentum. Yeah, and I think it's all about track time and just coming to grips. And and I think I think the nature of racing with better drivers around you and that's no disrespect to anyone else that he's raced with in the past we always know that you know the likes of jared Fieldsell and madison down that those guys are a little bit next level and when you start racing them 
more on a regular basis, you do start to pick up and you find those little bits of speed. And I think that's where he's at. He's actually coming to grips with, you know, the fast guys around him and he's learning and keeping up with them. And, of course, that's a huge feather in his cap because that if he starts to start doing that week in, week out, then by all means we're going to see him as a championship contender one day. Yeah, definitely think so. Um, big congratulations to Dylan on that P3 qualifying. Really excellent performance. Last round's winner at Watkins Glen and championship leader going into this round, Jake Burton, could only manage P8. And Jared Philsell qualifying P7. It has been a patchy season for Jared so far, but uh, seventh place, smack in the middle of the top 10. Still not a bad performance, and he would ultimately take advantage of that in the race. Absolutely. I feel sorry sometimes for, for Jared because, you know, I guess when we mention his name, I guess everyone kind of thinks he's going to be up in P1, P2, P3, or that's where we're normally seeing. And when we see him a little bit further down the pack, everyone's going, geez, what's going on with Jared? But mm. at the end of the day, his, his lap wasn't, you know, wasn't all that bad, but everyone else was quick too. So it just made for a tricky situation. Yeah, and the qualifying times is just so close. I mean, they're always close in a field like this, in cars like this, around a track like this. But, man, those gaps that we saw in qualifying, there was nothing (laughs) between the top ten. I know. It's it's days like that that I love being in the commentary box. It takes the pressure off me because I'm not the driver and not have to worry about finding those extra extra thousands sometimes. But man, oh, man, that made for some great viewing. And when you see that they're covered by so close – like you just think there's absolutely nothing in it in a lap just to get that little bit of time. And you think, my goodness, like I guess all those drivers and everyone starts second guesses like, where did I lose that little bit of time? Could have I done a little bit more in one of the turns? But so micro, micro, small, small margins that, you know, you just, you blink and you miss it. Yeah, that you do. And uh, another blink and you miss it moment is uh, when the lights go out and when when the green flag dropped, Andrew Gilliam and Ethan Grigg Galt, they had absolutely charging starts and they both put pulse to James Scott back to P3 by the end of lap two. Uh, at least in those opening laps, it looked like it was going to be the Gilliam and Egg show. Yeah, absolutely. And and I guess you're always mindful of, you know, getting that great start, but also getting yourself into a rhythm because, you know, these races, obviously, they never never um, won in the first couple of laps. But when you find yourself getting a great start, it's always something that you're going, right, all right, beautiful. We've managed to tick that that box. We know we've got ourselves in a good position. Let's see how the rest of it plays out. Yeah, and drivers are obviously thinking about strategy, this being a standard format round, 60 laps with two compulsory pit stops. You had to think about whether or not you wanted to go for an undercut on your tyres, strap new rubber on and try and get an advantage. But putting yourself off sync from everyone else, combined with how crucial the draft is, could make you vulnerable later on. And I heard you and Brenton O'Brien highlighting that in the commentary. Yeah, we had difference of opinion some uh, throughout some of the strategy calls because I was mindful that because the cars were so close that yes, that little bit of draft was was helpful to stay in touch, but I sort of predicted and that that's the way that that Jared went um, along with James that is hitting it just that little bit earlier because the cars were so close that advantage on fresh tires gives them that little bit of a margin. So, yeah, we were both talking and, and he was of the mindset that, oh, I don't know if it's a good idea because you could chew up your tyres, which quite possibly they could have as well. Mm. But I just figured because the margins were so close that that little bit of gain on that fresh rubber would be good for track position. And sure enough, that's how it all played out. Yeah, that it did, but it uh, didn't come without its dramas. Um, the uh, the pit cycle started properly around uh, lap 21 to 23, and um, the, the first takers from the front of the field were around that time. Uh, at the end of lap 24, James Scott decided to go into the pits, <laughs> and this is something that we'll be talking with James about later to get his perspective on it, but um, we, we did talk briefly i think about pit entry in the last episode um the the pit entry at this track is very dangerous because you have to slow down for it on the racing line through the second last turn which goes over a crest it's blind it's fast you know there's only one way it'll go if you're in a pack and james scott found that out the hard way with madison down getting into the back of him how much can he count his lucky stars that he is he wasn't either pointing the wrong way or sent spinning and a couple of other cars taking him out. Like that could have been mm. could have been massive. And 
for him to hold on to that and, um, you know, for them both, even Madison, to get away with, you know, relatively scot-free and, and, and no damage, I think it was a testament to both the drivers. Yeah, certainly was. And, I mean, one, one heck of a save for James oh. Scott, you know, like mm. that the fact that he was able to hold that drift through pit entry, only catch the grass slightly, still hold on to it. I mean, it just it, it blew my mind, the, the, <laughs> the car control and reaction needed for that. Yeah, that, it could have easily gone awful. Um, and everything that happened, he didn't really lose an incredible amount of time considering of how mm. bad that could have gone. So, yeah, very lucky, good good, good car control, um, but, yeah, Lady Luck was sitting in the passenger seat, I think. Yeah, and uh, I think another driver who uh, really had his head screwed on in that moment was Jared Philsell, who, you know, had been steadily working his way up from that P7 start. <laughs> he was behind all of them. And when Scott had a slide, Jared just slipped right through <laughs> and uh, went ahead of his teammate on the way into the pit lane. That that It almost looked like synchronized dancing. If it wasn't so shocking, <laughs> it would have been a thing of beauty. Yeah, always up for a bit of an opportunity there, Jared. He saw what happened and uh, reminded me of Sebastian Bettel. Uh, he was he mm. did a bit of a pass in the grass with a pit lane entry at one stage when everyone was just too slow. So obviously it was different circumstances. He was trying to gather his car up and uh, Jared just um, made the move and got a position out of it. So good on you, Jared. Yeah, good on you indeed. Well, when um, the Synergy pair decided to make their way in along with a few other cars from the top 10, um, uh, Ethan Grigolt, Jake Burton and Madison Down stayed out and um, Ethan Grigolt was quicker to respond to the strategy call from the rest of the top 10 than the TTR pair was. Um, Phil Sell, having pitted a lap before Ethan, that put him in the effective lead, but Ethan passed him shortly after with a one lap fresher tires um it was looking a bit interesting for the synergy guys when we started getting into that middle phase of the race absolutely and i love the fact that it's not follow the leader you know everyone you know there's other people that tried different strategies like you said with ttr staying out a little bit longer and different guys pitting earlier that's what i love to see because there's so many different things that can play out throughout the race yeah, like Andrew Gilliam's strategy. Um, he he pitted with the, the rest of the top 10 around the time that there was the incident on pit entry for, for James Scott. And then Gilliam's second stint in the race was uh, a bit longer than everyone else's. Uh, he ended up pitting at lap 44 to take his second compulsory pit stop, but he had spent so much time leading. He, he'd gotten past Ethan Griggold in the middle stint in, in the sort of in the meantime, but all of that time spent in the lead, pushing through the air, being the car that sort of breaks that air dam, it ultimately slows you up at a track like this and the rest of them jumped in by a long way. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals, isn't it, too? I guess it, we touched on this with Watkins Glen that um, Phil Sell was saying that, you know, he didn't want to be the leader. He didn't want to be the guy punching that hole in the air for everyone else. So it's catch-22, isn't it? You want to go about your race, but you also don't want to, you know, give an advantage to anyone else behind you, but in a way you do disadvantage yourself a little bit when it comes to fuel like that. Yeah, you do. Well, um, the the main thing to take away from that is uh, Gilliam pitted later on the second compulsory pit stop, but, uh, well, the Synergy pair decided to go early. And uh, I remember there being a little bit of back and forth with you and Brendan Sandman about <laughs> whether or not that was a good decision. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I put it to Brenton. I, I, I remember throughout the broadcast saying, look, I think if they do make this move early, it could benefit them. And, and Brenton was sort of of the mindset of, don't know if it's a good idea, but um, yeah, they ended up going that way and uh, it worked out quite nicely for them. Yeah, not without a couple of dramas, though. They did come out with some traffic. Um, Brian Borg, Blake Warboys, and Josh Anderson, they were all fighting in a pack for mm. uh, P16, 17, and 18. They had yet to take their second compulsory pit stop. And uh, Phil Sell and Scott came right up on them. You could see just how much it was hurting Jared's pace, not being able to get by those guys who were on older tyres. Absolutely. And that's when I started to think maybe my strategy idea, not that it was my idea, but I, the, 
I thought was a good idea for them to pit. I thought, oh, maybe this is actually going to bite them in the backside because, yeah, they were racing the guys around them and they weren't getting blue flags because they weren't a lap down. So they were more than entitled to race them as hard as they wanted to because they didn't have to give out that track position. They just hadn't made their pit stop yet. So, yeah, Jared and uh, James really had to sort of be mindful of that. Yeah, they did lose out a little bit, but they still remained in um, the uh, the the top two uh, coming out of the second compulsory pit stop window. And once everyone had gotten through their cycle, Phil Cell, Ethan Grigg Galt, who had managed to insert himself in between the two Synergy cars, and James Scott, they started battling super closely, which allowed the later pitting Madison Down and Andrew Gilliam to catch right back up, along with the rest of the top 10, effectively. <laughs> and that created an absolute mega pack in the last 10 laps. Again, it's one of those positions where I'm glad I'm in the commentary box and not the driver in the thick of that because how nerve-wracking would that be? You know, the guys up the front, they're battling out between each other and then you've got the guys behind them just going single file going, you know what, we're going to start to pull these guys in and we're going to bring ourselves into the mix. Yeah, and speaking of nerves, I think it, I think it ended up getting to uh, Ethan Grigolt and Andrew Gilliam. Um, Gilliam ended up passing the ERT driver, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, trying to get back past Gilliam, there was a tap into turn six on lap fifty-seven. Um, now, I remember there was some discussion on the broadcast in the commentary about the consequences of that. Uh, Ethan Grigolt was given a five second time penalty for turning Gilliam around. But I heard you and Brenton questioning, did Gilliam technically move under brakes? It was a bit of a controversial penalty. Yeah. Uh, again, it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't want to be, um, you know, in the steward's box trying to decide on that one. But, uh, you know, I guess they looked at it hard and long and that's the decision they came to. And, uh, yeah, it's just one of those those points in the race, isn't it, where the, he felt that he just needed to get that move done. Um you know, if there was a bit of um, contact due to, you know, moving around on the racetrack, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. To be honest, I didn't go back and, and sort of go over it. Um, you know, the stewards, they've got the hardest job on any day, you know, putting up yeah. a decision. You know, you're either going to be, you're going to make 50% of the crowd happy and you're going to make the other 50% of the crowd, you know, annoyed. So, yeah, unfortunately got the five-second penalty and that took him out of a podium position. Yeah, it did. Uh, re- real shame for, for Ethan after the, the fantastic job that he had done. Uh, he would ultimately be uh, classified 10th, 5.4 seconds uh, behind the uh, the race winner. Um, and ultimately, Gilliam, uh, especially with the tap around, ended up losing a position in the top five. He was eventually passed by Brady Myers from Trans-Tasman Racing. Myers, I think, was uh, he flew under the radar a bit in this race, didn't he? Ended up getting fourth in the end, and uh, it was interesting to see because he barely got any airtime on the broadcast at all. Yeah, and I think it's exactly why is because you said he did slip under the radar a little bit because we were so focused on everyone else. And, of course, the way that the penalties played out or the way that some of the drivers that got involved in incidents lost positions, he was able to capitalise on that. And then, yeah, before you know it, there he is B4, and it's like, man, how good's that? Yeah, definitely. And uh, how good's that is um, probably what would define Jared Philsell's race because uh, despite everyone closing up right at the very end of the race, uh, Philsell and James Scott would ultimately finish 1-2 for Synergy Sim Racing. Brilliant bounce back from uh, the uh, the Watkins Glen strategy fumble, I have to say. You know, they, they were in the lead for a long time at Watkins Glen, but ultimately the first compulsory pit stop didn't go their way and they ended up finishing outside the top five. But I mean, what a class performance from those two guys. And especially big shout out to Jared because uh, this is his first win of 2023 after some time being spent out of the winner's box. Absolutely. And especially when you think about how dominant he was for last season and, of course, our, our, um, he's our reigning series champion. So, yeah, look, they're a good team. And, you know, occasionally people trip over themselves and, you know, yeah, uh, there was a missed opportunity at Watkins Glen, but so good that they were able to bounce back, put that behind them and, um, and get a great result. Yeah, so Phil Sell 
is uh, your race winner. And uh, James Scott finishing second. Uh, that was uh, merely eight hundredths of a second behind Jared Philsell. And with that points hold, James Scott takes back the championship lead from Jake Burton, who would ultimately finish 18th after getting battered around quite a bit, Sandman. Uh, I-, I saw Jake's car in a couple of shots on the broadcast. Looked like he had a few bruises. Yeah, and was really, really unlucky towards the end where he got um, he got involved in an incident that was just none of his doing, and unfortunately that cost him big time. There was a, a car that had a, an incident uh, in front of him, and that car was trying to back up as it was hard up against the the guardrail, and just as he backed into the field, um, that's when um, Jake was there, and unfortunately he got nailed there, and. Yeah, it's a, a race that he'll be quickly um, keen to forget about because obviously it wasn't everything um, going his way. And especially when he come in as championship leader, um, that really stings a little bit. But, you know, he's still, still in touch uh, and there's still plenty of races for him to make that ground back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, uh, coming out of this uh, this round at the Red Bull Ring, championship standings currently in favour of James Scott, as we said. Um, he is uh, leading the series standings, and uh, Jake Burton still holding on to a pretty good position, all things besides. And who knows, maybe Jared Philsell's season is back on track now after this win at uh, Austria. We'll have to wait, though, for the next round of the championship at Belle Isle to see how that really pans out. But before we can look forward to the next round, we have someone to talk to. Well, we are here with series leader James Scott after an excellent round at the Red Bull Ring, back in the lead of the 2023 Logitech G Pro Invitational Series and an excellent season so far, James. Uh, It's definitely been an excellent 2023 from your perspective. Yeah, it has, mate. Um, Obviously leading the championship now, but as it's been a bit of a a yo-yo effect for the whoever's in the lead, they seem to have one good round getting the lead and then... um, have a bit of a bit of a shocker. So hopefully we can um, break that trend at the next round at Belle Isle. But uh, yeah, can't complain so far. Five rounds in and uh, leading the championship. So definitely can't complain. Rather be at the pointy end than uh, somewhere in the midfield. Yeah, for sure. Pointy end is uh, is where you've been for the most part. What do you think has been um, basically what's defined your season so far? Because you mentioned that you've had up and down rounds. Do you think there's any particular reasoning behind that or is it just circumstance playing on you? Um, no, I think on, on, on the whole, my, my season's been pretty consistent. Um, obviously, we had a bit of a bit of a shocker at Watkins Glen. Um, didn't quite get the strategy right there, but on the whole, uh, minus that round, um, I think we've maximised or, or or done done a pretty reasonable job. Um, and we're just trying to keep the, the consistency going and the points rolling in every round and see where we end up at the end. Well, uh, speaking of uh, Watkins Glen, it's something that really surprised Sandman in the comms booth and surprised me when I watched the broadcast back was uh, was what happened with you and Jared on the first compulsory pit stop. Um, was that was that an error in setting up the pit stop or was it a genuine mistake? Was there a software error on your end? Uh, what What happened? Um, yeah, obviously with Watkins Glen, um, being such a draft track, we weren't sure on the strategy and we still weren't really sure, um, what, what, what the best strategy was going to be, but we had, we, we, as a team or the two of us decided that we would, um, try and do something a bit different and get, break the draft. Um, didn't quite work out like that, but that was the plan. So we tried to put in all the fuel at the first stop. Um, then we were just going to go no tires and just up on the jacks really quickly for the second stop, but didn't quite work out that well, um, and we were way back. But I think we salvaged a P, P6 at the end, so it's it's not the end of the world. I was going to say it was an incredible comeback because of everything that had happened, and, and of course you two looked so dominant at the start of that race, and I... You know, in the comms box, we figured you boys had it wrapped up and obviously, you know, things didn't go your way. But to salvage a good comeback from what could have been a bit of a disaster, I think that's a feather in your cap and you'd be pretty happy about that, surely? Yeah, obviously, as I said, I can't complain too much. Um, I think that's just testament to how good our cars were. Our cars were quite fast. Um, 
And yeah, we were just saving as much fuel as we could in the first stint. We didn't really get to show our car speed. There's sort of no point leading the race that early on. Um, no matter how fast you are, you're not going to be able to pull away with how yeah. draft the, how strong it is around there. So, um, but yeah, no, just a bit of a bad strategy call, but that's all good. Um, P6, so still some pretty good points. So yeah, it can't be too disheartened, really. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, considering you know that that strategy call that you guys made at Watkins Glen was was that more to do with the track itself, or was it something you've been thinking about trying at other tracks? Uh, no, and I definitely won't be trying it again. Um, I think we, we, le- <laughs> we learned the hard way with that, but um, it made it made sense. I was we were talking about it, a few of us in the Discord as the race was going on. Um, it made sense, um, but we probably just didn't account for the fact of how fast we would have had to have gone um, in the middle stint and with the other saving fuel. So, but that's all good. As I said, P6, point, decent points, and um, I don't think it hurt us too much in the championship, really. If P6 is the worst that we're going to do, I think we can have a pretty good year. Yeah, especially t- considering... Uh, go on, Sam, man. No, no, sorry. I was going to say, he's touched on it exactly right. Like, if you can walk away from a disastrous round and it's a P6, that's not too bad, is it? No, absolutely not. I mean, um, uh, that that segues nicely, actually, into um, this round at the Red Bull Ring because, you know, that, that P6 still gets you enough points to uh, get back into the championship lead after second place at the previous round after setting pole position. Um, It must feel good getting pole at any track, but uh, Red Bull Ring, very short, very fast circuit with long straights, James. Uh, It can be difficult to put a lap down there, especially considering what we saw in the qualifying session with drivers backing each other up on the way to a hot lap. Yeah, you pretty much sums it up really well. Um, and obviously, the added aspect as well with the the off tracks, they're really easy to get around there. Um, but yeah, I just I, I knew my first two runs, they weren't very good. Um, I got a good, I did get a decent banker on the first lap, but I knew I still had a fair bit of time in it. Uh, the second run, I think I picked up an off track uh, on the exit of turn one, so that ruined that lap. Um, and then with the only the 15 minute session, I was only had one more run, so. Obviously, there's all the games being played with draft trains and whatever else, and we were all going pretty slow on on the outlaps. But um, yeah, just got in a lap at the end, got, picked up a nice draft, um, as we we're all trying to do. But uh, yeah, obviously, best place to start is on pole. Um, it, it's a bit of a funny one. Pole's great, but then you probably at a track like that with so much draft, you don't want to be leading. So um, luckily, uh, we we got a decent start. Um, Stayed out of carnage at the turn one and two, turn two with the corners being so slow, easy to get turned around or whatever else. But um, yeah, no, it just saved as much fuel as we could in the first stint. Were you looking forward to this round? I know on the calendar for me as a as a commentator, I'm always excited about a race from from this track with the V8s because I I think it always puts on a good show and of course it didn't didn't disappoint this time round. So was this something that you were I don't know, cautiously excited about perhaps. I know you talked about the difficulties with qualifying, but I think as a race as a whole, I think it really turned it on. Yeah, no, I think it was a great race. Um, obviously, exciting racing pretty much the whole race. I, I don't think it was ever a, a time where I was, wasn't close to someone, either someone right behind me or me right behind someone else. So, no, I was excited. I, I wasn't too sure what to expect. It's been a bit of an up and down track for me, Red Bull Ring. Um, I've had some some really good results there in the past, but also some pretty average ones. So I was hoping that this was going to be a good one. I did put in some pretty decent work with the guys at uh, SSR. Um, I think we came up with a pretty good setup with the help of Jared and Brody as well. Um, but yeah, no, um, just glad to come away with some decent points. Yeah, well, it uh, certainly wasn't easy for you, um, especially when the first compulsory pit stop came around. Um, I remember uh, feeling shocked out of my mind when you got when you slowed down for pit entry, and Madison at speed behind you gave you a tap and nearly spun you around. I mean, I, I've I've talked a lot in my own broadcasting at the Red Bull Ring about how pit entry is just so dangerous there. Very fast section of the circuit um, going straight into the pit entry on the racing line it, it must have been difficult to really suss that out and and try and time your pit stop in the middle of that pack 
Yeah, no, it was. Um, I don't really know how I saved that one. I thought I was going to get spun right around. Um, obviously, I did. I thought I had just enough of a gap um, that he might have seen me coming. But anyway, I'm I'm not angry about what happened. Um, just a racing incident, and no hard feeling towards Madison or anything like that. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a tough one. You you want to give the guy behind you a bit of warning that you want to pit, but at the same time, you don't want them to. To know that you're pitting, um, th- <laughs> yeah, so they can follow, so they can follow you in. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two, but um, luckily didn't give us any damage, or if it was, it was wasn't very noticeable. So um, yeah, got away with that one. I think you summed it up well, James. Is that you know, obviously there was no hard feelings to Madison. It definitely wasn't intent. You know, it's just the nature of the racetrack, and it's a bit like, well, I guess it's worse than Watkins Glen because you are sort of slowing down more for that turn where the pit entry is for, for Watkins Glen. But when you come to the Red Bull ring, it's such a fast corner as well. So, yeah, and it's you touched on exactly the same thing that I was thinking is that you don't want to slow down or let the guys know behind you because they may be wanting to follow you into pit lane. So if you can sneak that advantage by darting in there without anyone knowing about it, sometimes that, that is a real benefit. Yeah, 100%, mate. Um, I think it's just, yeah, as you said, bit similar to Watkins, just the way the track design, whatever else. But um, if I racing, maybe if they police the, the blend line a bit better, um, maybe it might be a bit bit easier for people to know. But as as we saw, they didn't really police uh, people crossing the blend line to get into the pit lane. So uh, that that that's that was sort of the result. But anyway, um, that was what happened. And but nah, all good. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm reminded of you know my early days sim racing and league racing. Uh, often, even in iRacing now, you'll see people uh, having a having a text chat macro set up to say pitting this lap. But of course, that that's not the case in a series like this one. I mean, you you definitely don't want to give away too much to your rivals. But uh, in, in terms of um, Sam and touched on it, um, you know, it is similar to Watkins in many way in, ways in terms of the pit entry, but also in the way the track drives and races as well, James. Um, were, were you basically uh, reading from the same playbook as Watkins Glen when it came to the battles? Like, you know, you don't want to be the leader. You want to try and stay in the draft, save a bit of fuel you want to time your pit stops well so that you come out with someone to draft with that at the same time doesn't slow you up yeah you, you definitely um probably hit the nail on the head there um very similar tracks just the the car in general the supercar seems to be very um have a very strong draft model um so at probably most of the tracks that we go to um that'll probably be the case but especially at those last two tracks um that we've been to, but um, yeah, I'm lucky enough that we've got some really fast guys in the team and we all work really well together, so that's definitely um, something that I'm enjoying, Um, but yeah, as I said, it's only round five, so I have to keep working hard. You touched on with um, the environment within the team, we we hear that Jared's got Brody in his ear during the race. Do you have someone in your ear that sort of helps you and sort of guides you throughout the night? Ah, uh, yeah. I, me, me um, Jared, and Brody usually all in the same Discord. Um, and I guess we're lucky that we're both sort of always pretty close to each other on the track. So yeah, it's great having Brody and Jared. They're both so experienced. Obviously, Brody with his real life knowledge as well as what he's got on the sim, and Jared. I mean. His name just speaks for himself. He's won so many races and so many championships and everything else that, um, yeah, it's just great being in a team with those two guys as well as everyone else. We work really well and, yeah, no, it's a great team to be in. And um, we did have a little bit of a chat before uh, we went live about your team history. You uh, you started out with Evolution Racing Team and uh, then moved on to uh, Altus Esports, the, uh, the team that, broke away from Evolution Racing Team and is now uh, seeing success internationally. And then you came to Synergy Sim Racing. Um, how how do the team environments compare uh, to what you've seen in the past? Because you're obviously enjoying yourself a Synergy at the moment. Yeah, mate. Um, the, the other two teams I've been in, they've, they've been good. Um, definitely no hard feelings to anyone there. Um, but I think just where I am at the moment, um, really focused on the V8 and... Um, getting some good results in this series and just I think being like a, a one car uh, 
team in this series would be pretty much impossible. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah, no, they, they're great teams. But the environment I've got now is, is second to none and um, loving every second of it. You touched on your experience and we think about your name in this series. And, of course, you came through the qualifying series. So how do you find yourself now? You obviously must be pretty chuffed. You come through the qualifying series, you make the championship, and now you find yourself as the series leader at the moment. That must be pretty exciting. Yeah, mate. Um, I wasn't obviously missing last last season. Uh, I couldn't commit to too many rounds. I had a few um, real life things to do, so I didn't want to hold up someone's spot to to do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I was a little bit worried. Um, I knew I could have the pace, be there or thereabouts, um, but I just wasn't sure. It takes a little while sometimes to get your your mind into gear about how they race in the series. Obviously, with no drop rounds or anything. Um, but I think I, I've got my mind sort of how everyone races now and. Um, I can sort of, yeah, predict what's what's going to happen and, and the level of aggression that you need to show. So, I, yeah, I wasn't really sure what to what to expect in, in the first few rounds of the year, but um, getting into the groove now. You touched on real-world commitments getting in the way. For people who don't know, what, what, sort, of, what sort of things keep you busy when you're not sim racing? Um, uh, uh, a fair, fair bit. Um, obviously, works always works always flat out. Um, long days there, and then I've got a lot of things on the weekend with investment properties and whatever else. So, um, that always takes your time up. And um, but no, whenever I can, try to get on the sim, do some laps, and um, yeah, prepare the best that I can for the races that are coming up. I think that um, that that's that works into something that I wanted to ask you because you talk about how much you race the V8 and you know you I, I, I notice you almost exclusively race this car and it's not just this series you're also in in V8 scops and the the AOG V8 super series and that that can see you sometimes racing three four times a week so it, it must take quite a bit of effort to manage that schedule and uh, try and stay sharp because you're racing at, at some Sometimes at three different tracks in the same week. Um, yeah, no, it does. Um, obviously, seat time's great, and whenever I got time, I'd try to get on and, as I said, do some do some practice. But I, I guess I'm glad that most of the series these days they don't clash too much, and when they do, they're usually at the same track. So I use some of the series as a bit of a bit of a practice for for this series or V8 Scops or whatever the case might be but um i I don't it's not not every time i hit the track it's got to be full competitive i do like to have fun with my racing as well but obviously i know when it's time to be um competitive and ice forward um then then that's the time to do it but not if you if you're competitive every time you're on the track and like full serious then um you're probably going to wear yourself out pretty quickly Mm. I love the fact that you keep yourself busy in these cars because, for me, I find that if if I obviously I'm definitely not one of the one of the good drivers, but if I find myself out of the seat with these V8 supercars, that I do find a little bit of a struggle to get back into a rhythm. Maybe that's a fact that that I'm not the calibre of you guys, but I do I think it's valuable to have that seat time because yeah, just having a little bit of time away can throw you a little bit. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um. I just I I like to drive a race against the best guys, and I did try my hand at GT, um, a few GT cars uh, last year, um, but and I I think I I was going okay at them, but um, I just with the time zone that we are in Australia, it's really hard, especially yeah. when you work full time to race, um, any of the European guys. It's always two o'clock in the morning or whatever else, and <laughs> I'm well well asleep by then. But so I guess that's. Where you let where you sort of left in the V8 and um, but no it, it's good fun um, but yeah I just try to keep the seat time up and practice where I can and whatever else I've still got still got a fair way to go I think with um, being at the level of some of these really top guys like Jared and those guys but um, hopefully we can get there. 
I think you're 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 all right, mate. Because at the the point, like you said, you know, if you're mixing it with the caliber of the guys that we've got here at the moment and leading the championship, that says a lot about your driving. So, but it's always good to know that you've got something sort of in your back pocket that you can learn. Did you find when you did a little bit of that GT racing when you got back into the supercar? Did did you find that transition to get up to speed again in the supercar difficult? Um, I did. I definitely, yeah. For the, it was probably a little bit of time where I was. I wouldn't say I was slow, but I probably wasn't being able to drive the car in the limit um, like you would be if you if you kept your seat time up. But I also think that it might have helped me a little bit in some ways. Just some of the technique that you learn in driving a GT car, obviously way different to to the V8, but. Just driving something a bit different, learn, learning some new tricks and working, trying to apply them to something that you could do in the V8. It, I don't think it hampered me. If anything, it maybe improved me as a driver a little bit. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and that's something that I've experienced myself. Like I remember um, back when the Lotus Forty Nine was first released for iRacing, I was um, somewhat active in the V Eight at the time uh, and trying to have a go at it, but I had trouble gelling with the way the car drove because the V8 has always had a reputation as one of the more unique driving cars on the iRacing service. But jumping into the Lotus 49 and realizing just how difficult that car was to drive, you know, having to learn ever more about, you know, throttle control and and being able to slow down in a straight line into the corner properly. It's like the Lotus 49 was, was an exaggerated V8 and that really helped me. So I could definitely see where you're coming from there, James. Yeah, I mean, you see it in real life as well. I mean, they're probably not doing different categories to to get better as a driver. They probably do it more for fun, but they're always competitive, and I'm sure they're learning something themselves with Shane and now Brody going over to to the US to race NASCAR. Um, obviously, it's great for those guys, but um, yeah, I guess sort of same same sort of deal in the in the sim. So with your setup at the moment, your real life setup, um, what, what kind of hardware are you going for? Because, you know, we have a, a huge variety of, uh, of different combinations of hardware that drivers use. Um, are, are you a monitor or a VR guy first off? Um, I did start off with a VR, but um, I did get rid of that. I've got uh, triples, uh, 32-inch monitors now. Um, definitely... I think for for realism, I think the VR was was really good fun. Um, but I think for terms of outright pace, uh, I think I I definitely prefer the the screens. So I've definitely adjusted to them, and I'll be sticking with those for sure. Right. I I was about to ask, do you think you'd ever go back to VR? Because obviously the technology is ever improving with higher resolution screens and stuff like that. Uh, Is it something that you would ever consider if if something particularly good came out in terms of headsets? Uh, Probably for racing, probably not. Um, I guess you sort of see it. Uh, Most of the the really fast guys, uh, I don't think any of them are on VR um there's a and screens they're just they're a bit more consistent and they're not shaking around all over the place and just the the resolution's a lot better so i don't know probably not in in my in my time i'll be (laughs) i'll be going to vr that's for sure fair enough fair enough and um what what kind of wheel and pedal combo are you running at the moment yep uh recently upgraded from a simicube one to a simicube two uh pro um really good upgrade there that was wasn't sure i had a few issues with my simicube one um but that that, the the feel that you get now in the simicube 2 with all their programs and whatever else uh really great um i got some he pro pedals so probably time for an upgrade there they're a bit old um but i got the he ultimate brake so um (laughs) i've been looking to get some new ones but i don't know they seem to be out of stock everywhere so i'll be Waiting a little bit more time for that. Um, and then I got uh, Asha F64 V3 uh, wheel, wheelbase. Very nice. Excellent, excellent stuff. And, uh, of course, uh, the, the, your choice of rim is obviously really important as well. I, um, I, I haven't seen any pictures of the Asha V3, but I'm assuming it's a, it's a round rim or a round with a flat bottom? Uh, yeah, it's sort of like a... a uh, what is it, GT-style rim. Um, 
had one of the definitely I had a P three ten before the the old one they used to race in the real life supercars. Um and that that was good. I just ran out of buttons on it, so I went with something with a few more buttons. I think it's got sixty four adjustable buttons on turn <laughs> rotary knobs or whatever so i don't think i'll Jeez. run out of there anytime soon <laughs> yeah, okay and uh, obviously uh, that means that you do a lot of adjustments in the car like what what kind of functions are you mapping to these buttons i mean brake bias is the obvious one and roll bars too but is there anything else um yeah i try i set up something for everything um like obviously you got your jrt for your fuel calculations and as you said brake bias roll bars um Obviously, you got the clutch paddles. You can use them for, for your starts. Um, what else we got? Uh, obviously, oh, I got all the buttons set up for the for the black boxes to uncheck tires, fuel, fast repairs, all that type of stuff. So don't have to sc- sit there scrolling through the through the black boxes to uncheck what you want. So uh, not nah, no complaints with the wheel here. <laughs> I love hearing about what drivers prefer and how they have their buttons set up because a lot of people will think. You just get in, start driving, and finish the race. But there's so many people that change things as the race go on, like you said, with you know brake bias and stuff like that. Maybe you'll move the bars when when your tires are starting to go away from you, you know. And so hearing that drivers actually do that is is really cool from my perspective. I reckon it's great. Yeah, no, I think you see the guys. Well, you did until they took took the options away from them in real life but yeah you saw them really active on the bars so i think it's just yeah. as important in the sim so definitely try to keep up with that it's easy to sort of forget about it when you're in the heat of the battle you sort of <laughs> you you've been thinking about changing the bars and you just completely forget and you're 10 laps in and you're doing burnouts out of the corners but um no it's uh definitely i try to remember as much as i can uh, of course, and um, I suppose you'll have to be doing a lot of set adjustments around Belle Isle the next round. Um, you've obviously been running that track a bit in in other leagues for for practice purposes. Um, h- how do you gel with that track generally? Um, do you enjoy it? Is are there any parts of it that that you find particularly challenging? What's your view? Yeah, obviously, being a street track, the whole track's pretty tough. Um, to be fast, you got to be on the verge of having a crash every corner. Um, I, it's, as I, it's been a bit of a weird one, a bit like Red Bull Ring. It's very up and down for me. Um, sometimes I've been really, really fast, and other times I've struggled a little bit, probably not as much as I had been struggling at Red Bull Ring. Um, but hopefully we can get something dialed in there with the setup. Obviously, I raced there um, a couple of weekends ago in V8 Scops and tried something with the setup, but I just didn't really suit me so i think i'll be going for something a bit more i don't know i'll have to do some more practice and try and go down another path to try and find some pace i think pace comes with i guess getting that car set up nice with the bumps of that place because it's a street circuit it is a rough bouncy uh street circuit especially in a couple of the braking zones yeah for sure um obviously and being that sort of concrete surface a bit like sebring the the, the grip's yeah. pretty pretty low so and i think the the track will probably be pretty hot for the races, which adds another level of greasiness to the track. So um, yeah, getting that set up dialed in and getting something, I think getting something that you're comfortable with will be very important to your lap time. It's a very you got to have good confidence around there, and if you don't do that, um, you'll either be slow or you'll push that just that little bit too hard. You need to know where the edge is, and um, otherwise, it's very easy to find the concrete. Yeah, and speaking of. Uh the the race at Belle Isle strategy is something that I've been thinking about quite a bit because it, it's going to be a sprint round, two races with a compulsory pit stop in each. How do you see the strategy panning out there? Um, the, uh, is it going to be more dependent on on temperature or or where you are in the field as to when you take that stop? Yeah, I think where you are in the field. Um, obviously, it's a bit renowned for being a tough track to pass. Obviously, street tracks um, that. Pa- Passing uh, adds that extra element of risk, uh, especially definitely down to turn three. That seems to be very um, greasy offline. So that's probably only the only really good passing spot. You could maybe get down the end inside of someone at the end of the back straight. But um, yeah, no, it is it is a very tough track. Um, and I think yeah, just pitting when you when you think you're getting held up or 
make, making sure that you, you don't get undercut too much and fall too far um, behind because making it back up will be quite tough. For me, I think Belle Isle and I think safety cars. Yeah. We haven't seen that play out too much of this season. You know, sometimes that can be a huge game changer. But, yeah, true. man, with the nature of Belle Isle, I wouldn't be surprised to see the safety car make an appearance. Yeah, no, I think I think you'll be right on the money there. I think at least in one of the two races, I think we will. Um, and obviously that that will pretty much dictate when you pit. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if we saw a safety car, I think most people would be pitting in. You might see a few of the guys who might have had a bad qualifying or whatever, maybe run a risky strategy and stay out or whatever. But um, yeah, no, I think surely in one of the two races, we'll see a safety car, if not both. So, But I think... The lack of safety car is probably testament to the the good driving that we've seen in the series so far. Not many crashes and most people um, finishing or no no need for a safety car, so which is good to see. One final question from me, James, um, and this is completely off topic and uh, and has nothing to do with the racing itself. But um, Belle Isle obviously uh, races around a fountain. It's a central aspect of the track. Um, uh, how much do you know about said fountain? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that. Um, someone, I can't remember who it was, talked to me about this. I, I thought they were joking or whatever, but... Um, I have heard that there is a fountain. I, I wish I wish I could say it was named after me, but I don't know who who it was named after. But <laughs> looks like the I stole James it, stole Scott name. Memorial Fountain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good omen or not. Memorials don't usually go too well, so I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, um, if it's a sign of good things, not not bad. <laughs> <laughs> we can, well, let's make it up that if you if you clean sloot the weekend, we'll just say that that's that's all yours. Yeah, that's it. I think I don't know. I don't know what the other guy did to get his fountain named after him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, maybe uh, maybe uh, it can become a memorial to all that you crush on your way to victory. Anyway, James, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck for the next round of the championship at Belle Isle. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Okay, excellent chat with James Scott there. And, uh, you know, he's obviously been putting the hard yards in at Belle Isle over the last few weeks, Sandman. The Detroit street circuit there is where we're going for the next round. I absolutely adore this track. It's such a brilliant uh, track for these V8s. Yeah, it's uh, it's bumpy. It's a very, very tough racetrack as far as, you know, finding the limits and, and you know, being very spatial aware because it does tighten up in some parts of the racetrack and yet across down part, you know, coming up towards the fountain, it is very wide there. So, yeah, definitely a little bit of everything, but um, it does remind me a little bit of Sebring, doesn't it? Obviously with, mm. you know, bouncing on the concrete and taking on the bumps, but um, it's going to be a challenging, but I think it's going to be a really good race. Yeah, mixture of asphalt and concrete, as you said, just like Sebring. And concrete makes up the majority of the track. And the different surfaces involved mean different grip levels and different kinds of rubber buildup as well. And Sandman, this is something that I don't really see being talked about enough in in sim racing. And I was it was first drawn to my attention when I was doing commentary for Global Sim Racing Channel on a, a NASCAR truck series in America. They were racing at Dover Speedway, which is a concrete oval, mm-hmm. and it was pointed out to me that the way rubber builds up and and acts on concrete is very different to how it is on asphalt. Asphalt is more porous as it heats up. The the rubber kind of melts into it a little bit and. Grows rips down onto it. There's uh, there's oils present in the asphalt that come out when it heats up. Of course, that's simulated in, in iRacing, I believe. But when it comes to concrete, rubber builds up on it, but it sits on top of the concrete because it's, in general, a, a less rough surface. And uh, so J- James even mentioned it's going to be very slippery when the track temperature gets high. Yeah, I like that you brought that up because it does it does sit on top of the concrete and it has a nature of balling up and creating a lot more marbles and it sort of yes. does become that little bit more slippery. So, yeah, uh, myself, a huge NASCAR fan and, and totally understand that 
what you're talking about with Dover because that's the nature of the concrete. So that that is where some guys will say, you know, geez, there's not much grip on the concrete. And it's like, and that that is part and partial of the reason. It's important to get that rubber down, but it does get to a point where it does create sort of more harm than good sometimes. Yeah, and you mentioned marbles. Well, I mean, it, it being a street circuit, it's already tough to pass. There, mm. there are a couple of good passing opportunities, particularly at turn three and potentially coming into turn seven, coming onto the fountain section, though that's uh, that's definitely a very hit or miss overtaking opportunity. But Marble buildup on the outside of corners basically means that, especially through the slower stuff, you have to stick onto the racing line. Otherwise, you might go straight on into the barrier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is make contact with these walls and change any of the aero or the setup of the car because, you know, I think for me, it's so crucial to get around this racetrack, obviously any racetrack as quick as you can, but you're going to need a car that's going to ride those bumps and going to be very good under brakes. You want something that when you jump on that brake pedal, the car really settles and you can make somewhat of an advantage around people around you if you've got that car settling under brakes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the drivers are definitely going to be doing a lot of work on the dampers for this round. Not only do you have the bumps, but you also have uh, a couple of very big curbs around this circuit too. You, you'd want to avoid most of the curbs, particularly around the fountain section. But uh, I think if you tune your dampers just right, make sure that that you know you, you get I don't know like a soft soft rebound settings or something like that to make sure the tire stays in contact with the surface. Then that'll pay dividends in terms of pace. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing I do love about going to these tracks. They, you know, they're a little bit more technical than some, you know, you think of a fast flowing sort of Phillip Island. It's such a very different nature, this racetrack, like you said, with curbs and the concrete and, and the bumps and everything. It really does come down to driver comfort and how those teams can get these cars set up. Yeah, I'm calling that setups will probably need to prioritise in terms of um, steering behaviour, turn-in. You definitely want turn-in around this circuit. There's places you can open it up, like between turns two and three. There's a nice long straight there. Turn six to seven, uh, coming down the strand, it's it's a nice uh, flat-out section with a couple of bends in it. And then the run from uh, turn 13 to the finish. But everywhere else, it's tight as an 80s leotard. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a very... Yeah, that's right. Um, but I, th- I think that's something that that brings out the nature of this racetrack and, you know, could be a recipe for a safety car or two. You know, we touched mm. on that with the with our interview with James that, you know, I reckon we're going to see some sort of safety car involvement with the two races for this weekend. Yeah, and um, considering that, we should probably talk about the format a little bit as well. It is a sprint round, two races of 28 laps each with one compulsory pit stop in each race. James made uh, his um, his point of view known about, you know, it's really going to depend on where you are in the field as to, you know, when you decide to take that compulsory pit stop. Yeah, can you imagine if your race is determined by a safety car and whether you have to have make your pit stop and whether everyone else has around you because track position is is key around here because it is a tight and bumpy racetrack. And if you find yourself out front having a great time and then a safety car throws a spanner in your works and if you pit and you end up down the pack, you know, that can make for an absolutely difficult night. Yeah, uh, from from my experience, you know, watching and 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 calling races at Belle Isle, uh, I found that in general, if you're towards the back of the field, pitting earlier is probably a good idea because you won't have to experience as much traffic right away. Mm-hmm. But if yep. you're up the front you're going to have to really be careful about your timing. You have to make sure that you come out in a gap because, it, you know, if you're up front on fresher tires and and you decide to pit and, and get those fresher tires, come out smack dab in the middle of a battle and have to lose something like two, maybe three seconds uh, trying to make your way through those cars, that is your race potentially ruined. And the drivers who go long up the front will take advantage later on. Absolutely. And we talk about the difficulty of passing. If you make your pit stop and you're in the traffic, you're not going to see those blue flags for the guys around you. They're racing you for position. So it's hard enough to get the passes done as it is. But when you're trying to get through traffic, keep your car straight, and then you're stressing about what the leaders are doing. Yeah, no thanks. No thanks at all. I can, I'll, I'll definitely rain check that. <laughs> um, 
In terms of points around the track that that you think are, are really going to challenge the drivers, um, what, what I'm thinking is the exit of turn two, because you know the track starts out with a, a nice medium speed air spend through turns one and two, but on the exit of two, there is a, a bridge and you go over a very distinct bump or crest in the road right as you're tracking towards the outside where a concrete wall will greet you. And I think that's going to be, Sandman, one of the main um, main points at which we're going to be seeing passes set up is drivers, particularly on very new, cold or, or very old, worn tyres, um, they'll probably get crossed up out of there. And if they can keep it out of the wall, they'll lose momentum down that straight. Absolutely, and, and everyone knows I'm not the, one of the world's best drivers, but I do find myself at that point exactly where you're talking about where that bump is. If you're on those older tyres, how easy is it for that car to get away from you? Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you know, if you're lucky enough not to make contact with the wall, you, you're spending so much time gathering up or you know trying to point it back in the right direction that yeah, it's it's a game changer. Yeah, and uh, I touched on it a little earlier. Turn seven as well at the end of the back stretch. Um, it's it's a corner that. It wasn't on the original layout of the circuit. Turn seven used to be a lot faster, but it was tightened when uh, when the track returned after some years' absence in the real world. Um, you, you've got a curved braking zone coming into that corner. So if you don't have your brake bias right, if you brake too late, lock up one of your tires, you are going to mm. go straight on into the concrete barrier. There are tire barriers there but they don't extend all the way to the exit of the turn. So if you get your line even slightly wrong through turn seven, you're going to go straight into the wall. It's blind. As drivers are coming through behind you, they won't know that there's a car spun on the racing line until they get there. Yeah, and how easy, you touched on it there, how easy is it to pinch a brake or lock up a tyre, you know, especially in that point of the racetrack? So it's easy for a race for to come undone. And, and like you said, the last thing you want then is the faster guys coming around and cleaning you up. Yeah, and I think uh, also turns 12 and 13, the last two proper corners on the lap, uh, double right-hander, there is no runoff there. Like most <laughs> most of the corners, most of the corners after braking zones of this track do have some space that the drivers can run into if they overshoot, but not there. Yeah, I think you'll find a lot of drivers too, especially on 13 on the exit, just taking it right up against the wall, probably bouncing off it quite a few times. But yeah, it's always a bit of heart and mouth stuff, isn't it, when it's just a concrete wall? Yeah, I'm reminded of actually a, a real life moment back in 1999 when uh, when Kart was racing there. Juan Pablo Montoya was on a qualifying lap and out of turn 13, he got so close to the wall that the rim of his left rear wheel actually touched the concrete barrier and created a spark on the exit. That was spectacular, yes. but it just goes to show you how how close to the margin the drivers run it here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I remember that too. The spark with those magnesium wheels, just mm. the bang. And it's just like, yeah, absolutely. That's him given every inch of racetrack, you know, what he can, giving it as much respect as he can, using up what racetrack he can, but, you know, still trying to get that lap down. So thankfully with our tin tops, we don't have to worry about the open wheeler aspect of it, but it's still something to think about because, you know, at the end of the day, you bounce off that wall one too many times and that's going to ruin that race car of yours. Yeah, it is for sure. Some very sensitive to damage cars will be out there uh, on Wednesday, August the 9th when this race goes off. Sandman, is there any particular driver who sticks out to you as someone who might do well here? I start to think of the the veteran drivers, but then, of course, we, you know, we've seen with different names throughout the series that you, you just don't know because there are people that, are, you know, some people that really love this style of racetrack. So I'm actually interested to see who that might be because obviously people really love a smooth racetrack, but there's people out there that do enjoy driving those tough, bouncy racetracks that, you know, they really have to work on their car setup. So there's not a name that jumps out to my mind, but I guess I always start to think back to the seasoned drivers and the veteran drivers of our sport that have done plenty of races and laps around this racetrack. You kind of expect those stars to shine, but I'm really keen to see who may be able to be able to tackle this for a name that we're probably not used to seeing up in the podium. Yeah, it's all up in the air and uh, we'll be finding out at the same time as you listeners out there. As I said, August the 9th, 
That is a Wednesday, 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time is when the broadcast will be going live. You'll be able to find it on the uh, Australian Sim Racing Group YouTube channel or the Logitech G Pro Invitational Series Facebook page. We certainly hope that you'll be able to join us for that. Well, that concludes this episode of the Paddock Podcast. Thanks again, Sandman. This has been a, a nice, fun time, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to Belle Isle. Absolutely, and thank you, Reese. It's it's been good to uh, have a chat with James, and yeah, mate, uh, Belle Isle is is, is going to turn it on. I think we might see the the first um, run of uh, some safety cars in a little while, so it's definitely going to be very interesting. Yeah, indeed. I'll be watching with bated breath and with great interest. Well, we want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. You can find us at supercarsproinvitational.com.au forward slash the paddock podcast. And there's dashes in between the words there. Or you can find us on iTunes and Spotify. I'm Reese Gardner, Stephen Sandman Clark with me in the box. And uh, we send you much love from our corners of Australia. We'll see you next time. <laughs>